This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Liverpool Strength Company. Check out www.www.liverpoolstrengthco.co.uk to book in to see Martin get strong and have well doing it. Sorry, fell over all of that. Yeah. This podcast is also brought to you by Crosby Coffee. Crosby Coffee. For quality coffee in Crosby and Lark Lane. Use the code MISSGROOVE10 for 10% off your subscription. That's MISSGROOVE10. That's the number 10, not the letters. Don't let me tell you again. Hello, my little chicken nuggets. Welcome to the Miss Groove Podcast with me, Michael Casey, and... Oh, shit. Me, Michael Casey, just wondering, is it six more weeks of winter when the Puxatani film, The Groundhog, doesn't see the sun? Or is it six more weeks of summer when he doesn't see the sun? Also, what happens whenever the groundhog fucking dies? Is that just winter forever? Because I don't think we can pay the gas for that. Thanks, Boris. To quote the news, Milltown Mel, a groundhog who has for years offered his weather predictions on Groundhog Day, has died. They say Mill recently crossed over the Rainbow Bridge and their scrabble for replacement rodent before February the 2nd was fruitless. Mel rose to celebrity status in Milltown, New Jersey, giving residents of the Garden State an idea of when to plant their springtime seeds. But he died at a tough time of year when most of his fellow groundhogs are hibernating, according to handlers. Okay. Here's a fucking notion. Maybe if he's meant to be hibernating. Let the fucking thing sleep. Cheat. Just use a little robot one or a toy or something. Do we need to be fucking dosing groundhogs? We've enough going on in the world than randomly keeping small rodents awake. Anywho, when I was doing my quote-unquote research for this podcast, this is actually a divergence, but is it a divergence if I do it before the main that I'm going to talk about. Ah, make it up as I go along. It's my podcast. It's our podcast. Seize the means of podcastruction. Podcast construction. Con- seize the means of production. Shit. Worst fucking socialist ever. But I digress. But not really. I'm looking on the uh, suggested page of Instagram. It's got a investment page for property. They're listing a house for investment purposes for £80,000. Saying that by investing £20,000 of somehow not your own money, you'll be able to buy this house, rent it out for £500 a month, which will then net you £500 a month passive income. So they've given £20,000 for an £80,000 house, and they're getting £500 back a month as passive income, completely ignoring any notion of a fucking mortgage or upkeep. But this is what these fucking people do. They just fucking lie and they sell you financial advice through TikTok. Don't take financial advice from TikTok. Don't take financial advice from me, a guy who once bought a stuffed fox off of eBay and didn't get it. I still need a larger complaint about that. Fuck! If you'll allow me, I just want to explain how I got to the topic that I want to talk about tonight. So, earlier in the week, I was speaking to someone who was adamant that they are currently in the process of making a second Titanic film, a sequel to James Cameron's 1998 Titanic film, where what happened happened, and the characters ended up where the characters ended up. Spoiler alert, Jack fucking died. That, sorry about that. 
Also, that door was never buoyant enough for two people. That's why he didn't get on it. You thought somebody was just going to be in the water and freeze to death to be chivalrous? That's beside the point. However, this film apparently has Jack somehow surviving, living with Rose somewhere, thus rendering the end of the first film inconsequential. And apparently it's coming to theatres soon, so we should all probably get together, go watch that, or we can do a simple cast of it. We'll all tweet about it, it'll be fine. I can't wait for Titanic 2, this time with even more iceberg, I suppose. It did, however, get me thinking about the types of films we've had since there. A lot of superhero ones, young adult ones, bits and pieces like that. The odd uh, Wes Anderson film in the middle. It's quirky. And it reminded me at the time when I was going out with a girl in, I think, 2007, 2008, when Twilight first came out. Clarify, I didn't have a fucking scooby what Twilight was, but she wanted to go and see it. So because I'm a nice guy, I said, yeah, no, I'll come along with you. How bad can it be? I have, of course, several gripes with the film. The first, the Diamante vampire, the Diamante, Diamante, that fake diamondy vampire thing. Like, okay, reinvent characters as you please, or subjects as you please, but oh my god, that didn't make a lick of sense. Secondly, any of those children vampires that constantly went to school could easily have passed as being in their 20s. Why not go to university? It constantly has new revolving people coming in and out. It's easy to get lost in the crowd. Also, you might be able to drink. And don't say to me, Michael, they can't eat drink or food or anything like that. I don't care. I don't care. It's just such a stupid film. But the bit that really got me, for by the obvious weird age difference between the two main characters, which is, I'm, I don't know how I'm letting that slide, but the bit that really disturbed me to this day is when Bella walks into the science room and the vampire guy is sitting at the other side of the room and he simply goes and sniffs her from across the room and everyone I spoke to felt it was romantic sniffing a woman from across the room that's not okay we need to call people out even if they are vampires on their frankly Fucking creepy behaviour. Which I'm declaring as neatly bringing me round to the events that took place in Rhode Island in 1892. Now, if you were in Rhode Island in 1892, this isn't for you. You've probably already heard this. Also, go to bed. You're dead. This is, of course, the Mercy Brown vampire incident. In Exeter, Rhode Island, several members of the Brown family suffered a sequence of tuberculosis infections in the final two decades of the 19th century. At that point, tuberculosis was called consumption and was pretty much a death sentence. Mum Mary Eliza was the first to die, followed in 1884 by their eldest daughter, another Mary, because people are inventive with names. Problem being, at this point in time, nobody really knew what consumption was. Like, I'm sure somebody knew what consumption was, but a lot of people didn't. At this stage, it was really believed that if more than one person died in a family, that it was believed to be undead activity, quote-unquote, whatever that means, that someone was cursing the family, even though that and this is a spoiler for life, uh, you know, the rest of everybody's life, so I do apologise. Big spoilers, stop listening right now if you don't want to hear. But everyone's going to die in every family. Oh, I love a good cheery podcast. After Mary and Mary, yeah, have both died, then unfortunately the daughter Mercy and a son Edwin also contract TB. 
Friends and neighbours of the family believed that one of the dead family members was a vampire, although they did not use that name, and it caused Edwin's illness only, which in itself is strange. Oh my god, Edwin, you're sick. Unfortunately, it can only be the undead that have done this. Mercy, yeah, we've not got an ocean, you've just got the same thing, but... um, Did you not wash your groceries when you got back in from Sainsbury's? I don't know why I said Sainsbury's, what am I up market? Aldi for life, bitches. George Brown was persuaded to give permission to exhume several bodies of his family members. Villagers, the local doctor and a newspaper reporter exhumed the bodies on March 17th, 1892, St. Patrick's Day. Let's just hope they were drunk while doing it, because if I'm digging up dead people, I want to be pretty sozzled, to be fair. Just sitting around, sculling a few cold ones. Dig for the body, just dig and feel my corpse. If you want to feel my dead fingers in the night, yeah, dig for my corpse. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, That was the undead. Again. Bastards. Anywho, when they hit the old coffin depth, they found that one of the bodies had almost no decomposition and still had blood in the heart. This was taken as a sign that a young woman was undead and the agent of young Edwin's condition. Her lack of decomposition was more likely due to her body being stored in a freezer-like conditions in an above-ground crypt during the two months following her death. However, even though she was kept like an old steak nicely frozen in the back of the freezer, superstition and tradition dictated that the, her heart and liver were burned and the ashes were mixed with water to create a tonic that was given to the sick Edwin to drink as an effort to resolve his illness and stop the influence of the undead. Edwin died two months later. I don't want to go out on too much of a limb here or tell people too much of what to do with their own lives, but I think we can safely say that possibly drinking a tonic made out of your dead sister's heart and liver probably not going to do you much good. Stay away from that sort of thing. Maybe take some ibuprofen. Chill out for a little bit, put the feet up. Watch him Netflix, you'll be fine. He only wore burgundy shoes. They reminded him of his dream, the one that was mainly about his pancreas, although several other fictitious organs that were later revealed as elaborate hoaxes of the mind also made solemn appearances. What was his pancreas? he thought. This was in an era before the screams and wails transformed how we talked to people we'd already talked to on a Friday evening, between 7 and 8pm. He didn't have an encyclopedia, like the McCoys down the road. They were a reputable family, and all reputable families had an encyclopedia. He speculated the mysterious organ could be the cause of all his internal disconsolateness. Maybe it was pulling on his stomach sinking it further and further and further down into his gut. He had no answers, many more questions than he had in 1996. However, he'd continue to wear his burgundy shoes, if only to remind himself that uh, no one ever buys encyclopedias anymore. My hepatitis is getting better and better by the day. Up at the weight, up in the reps, nearly back into knee sleeve territory, which I'm looking forward to cracking those sweaty bad boys out again for all the fans. And by that I mean fans of sweaty knee sleeves. Daryl, how are you? Lovely to hear from you. Although feel free to please stop sending in the pictures of me in the sweaty knee sleeves. There's really no need for it whatsoever. Although it is, your thoughtfulness is appreciated. Martin will be back with us next week. Until then... 
Misgrove 10 at Crosby Coffee for £10 off your subscription for life. LiverpoolStrengthCo.co.uk Bye! Bye.